This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. Uh, I want to uh, ask you to take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. We are in our sixth week of Get Real, and it's a study through the book of James. We have enjoyed studying this, and uh, sometimes I, I, I approach a, a topic like humility, and uh, you kind of feel like, man, you know, how, how in the world can any of us speak on humility, uh, you know, without asking you know someone uh, else that's more humble or something like that I uh, kind of feel like a homeless man speaking about real estate or uh, or or maybe a, a, a turtle talking to a group of uh, pigeons and telling them how to fly uh, but regardless you know you feel like man no one is without pride everyone is in need of this topic and I want to I want to approach this as a pathway to humility no one will ever reach the pinnacle to where you say, I am completely humble, because the moment you make that claim, you're not. And the pathway is, is seen through the book of James. He continues to kind of start building this case and putting this pathway for you to reach humility. And it's a paradoxical path. Look in verse uh, number one, or chapter one and verse number nine. It says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. So we should re rejoice when humility comes into our lives. That's, that's a paradox. It's trustworthy, though. Look at, uh, we'll see this verse next week, but I want to read it this week. It says in James 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. When we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, there's a straightforward path to humility. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you kind of uh, two sections. This week we're going to study uh, verses 1 through 5, and then next, next week we'll kind of ramp from verse 5 and 6 down into uh, verse uh, 10 through 13. Uh, but I want, I want you to see that, that there's a key thought that really kind of summarizes everything we're going to talk about, and it is this, that the cause of every conflict is pride. How many of you would agree with that, that, that only by pride uh, cometh contention? It's the contention uh, th that, that is the root of pride brings contention. And the cure to disunity, the disunity with you and God, disunity between you and, and, and those around you, disunity, uh, the cure to that is humility. So you say, how do I get from pride to humility? And that's the key. The key thought is that the bridge between pride and humility is grace. Let's say that together. The bridge between pride and humility is grace. So God wants us to seek his grace. Now, how do we get to that humility? Well, we first need to expose pride. We're going to do that. I only have one point today because the next week, next week we're going to have point two. But I wanted just to share these first few verses with you. And I want you to notice, number one, the pride, that pride is the thief of our peace. Pride is the thief of our peace. Now, some people might think that a coworker is a thief to their peace. Some people might think uh, that your spouse is the key to your to the thief to your peace. Some people think that COVID have, has stolen their peace. But it's always pride, the root of pride. 
And when we're sitting here thinking to ourselves, nah, I don't have a pride problem. We all have a pride problem. And so how does, how does pride get in the back door? How does pride break in and steal our peace? Letter A. Pride corrupts contentment. Pride corrupts contentment. Now, I want to start in verse, verse 18 because last week we read that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So he's talking about peace. He's talking about, uh, he's talking about the peace that comes when we're living the way, the righteous way, the right way that God uh, designed us for living. And then he says this is what it looks like to have this peace. And this is, I'm sorry, this is what it looks like to lose this peace, to not be sowing peace uh, in, in reaping it in the fruit of righteousness. Verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? They come not hence. So he's like, this is not the source. Hence is uh, just meaning the source. This is not, the, the wars are not the problem. The fightings are not the problem. There's something that's driving those fightings. It says, even your lusts that war in your members. And so pride is the source of every relationship problem. Self-centeredness is the source of every self-conflict. But the word lust, the, the, the thing that's driving it is passion. So the word lust is, is the word uh, hedomi. It, it's, the word where we, it's the root of where we get the word hedonism, which means the pursuit of self-pleasure. But this word lust, it, it doesn't mean self-pleasure. It just means passion. It, it means that a self-enjoyment uh, or a joy, enjoyment, enjoying oneself, pleasure in general. And so God's not saying that you can never enjoy yourself. God's not saying he wants to remove uh, what is good. In fact, he's saying that what is driving you must be his enjoyment. You see, the world provides excitement and entertainment, but it does not last. God's passion and pleasure will last. It is his contentment that lasts. So when it says that fighting in wars, the word wars here in verse 1 is the word for strategy. It's God's game plan. So it's God's game plan versus your game plan. And every choice that we make is choosing between our game plan and God's game plan. So what is this a war of? It says wars and fighting. What, what are we warring against? Well, what was chapter 3 all about? Chapter 3 was all about watching your words, uh, watching what you say, and, and, and making sure that what you say is, is, is something uh, that, that is honoring to the Lord. So there's a battle going on. There's a war. And where, where's it happening? Where's the battleground? The battleground is in your members, in your body, in, in your mind. It's the word melos. It's all different types of, of the mind, the body, every part of a larger section. I don't know if we have any of these pictures, uh, but some, some photos of some things that are one part of it, one section blown up, uh, if, if we have those. If we don't, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, I'll show them to you next week in part two. Uh, but there's some things that are really small, and it's one little small section of a larger picture. And that's what he's saying is, is, is there are one little parts like the tongue that can drive us to say things. And one little passion in your heart might drive you in a moment of passion to say things. So what are we talking about here in verse number, uh, chapter four and verse two? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. So when he says, ye lust and have not, he's talking about covetousness. When he says that ye desire and you cannot have, that's talking about envy. When he's talking about warring against that you uh, th that that you have not because you ask not, he's talking about uh, the this jealousy. So what are the three terms that are being used in verse two, and and how do they differ? Covetousness in your notes. Covetousness is when we want someone or something that's not ours. 
Envy is when we begrudge someone who, uh, who has something we want, but we cannot or should not have it. And jealousy is when we are angry with someone for threatening what we desperately want to maintain or we are desperate not to lose. So this is why the verse says, ye kill and desire to have. Jesus talked about it. He said, <clears throat> you've heard that when you kill uh, that you're guilty of judgment. We know that. But he said in verse 20, uh, Matthew 5, 22, he says, Whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. For, I, for whoever say to his brother, Raka, uh, shall be in danger of the council, the Sanhedrin. The word Raka literally means empty space. Uh, so, so some of you might know uh, sign language, but sign language, this is, this is Raka in sign language. Nothing upstairs, completely empty. And the word, it's actually where we get the phrase good for nothing. That's what raka means. It, it means just good for nothing. What's ahead without any brains, right? Uh, it's good for nothing. And so uh, Jesus is saying, listen, when we, when we say to someone raka, we are, we are being driven by this jealousy. Now, jealousy produces a deep anger that is an attempt to keep something we feel we deserve and we are at risk of losing. So here's a key thought for this first point, that every conflict is conceded confrontation out of a deep-rooted desire for control. It's this conceded, this prideful confrontation because you want control. And so he says, we fight, verse 2, we fight and we war and we have not. We're wanting control. Now, um, the word fight in this passage I'll come back on screen here for a second, is actually the word machete. It's the Greek word for fight. And, and what it means, you can look in your notes, it means to cut with your words, to cut down with your words. One of the, one of the things that, that happens, and Jesus talked about this and James is talking about this, is when we cut with our words, we are trying to control the narrative. We're crying, trying to control someone else, and so we're using our words to belittle them and to cut them down, and it's a tool of control. And we all do this, but, but most of all, we cut people at their core, their identity. And so here's an action plan just from the, this, this thought, and that is that we must plan our words of kindness we are going to use and the ones we want to repeat. We need to capture the phrases that we want to delete. So I want to give you some practical. This is a very practical book. This is a very practical series. I want to give you some practical things. And I want you to write this down. If you're in a relationship or if you want to remember this for future uh, husbands, wives, uh, anyone, children, teens, write this down, okay? Uh, there's a couple phrases that are really good to delete, and they're cutting phrases. The phrase, you always or you never that's a cutting phrase. Uh, the, anything negative after you are. You know when we're cutting down someone else's identity that God has given them, it's wrong? And so uh, we, we cut another phrase to, to, uh, to, to cut out of your vo vocabulary is if you ever. If you ever say that again or if you ever do that, I'm going to. And it's, it's a threat. It's a cut. And so we cut each other with our words. And what is it? It's pride. It's pride emanating from us, and it's pride due to discontentment. So how does discontentment, how does pride cause discontentment? And here's, here's how. When we are warring against those around us, 
And when in verse 2 we are fighting and we're trying to get control, it is proving the fact that we don't believe that God's in control. Not only is it proving that we, we don't think that God's in control, but our discontentment is proving that we don't believe he's good. See, if the devil can get you to doubt God's goodness, and if the devil can get you to doubt that God has your best intentions in mind, if the devil can get you to doubt the fact that you, you can be satisfied in some other way, or there's some way that through your words you can get what you want the fast way, he will always drive you with your pride in order to do things in your own power and in your own nature. And what that develops in us is letter B. And letter B, pride hijacks our passions. Pride hijacks our passions. So when we, when we feel this, this urge of, of wanting to control the situation, and when we feel this desire to cut someone down, and, and I've done it, we've all done it, we've, we've in pride wanted to just lash out at someone. When, when we do that with our words, what's happening is we're being hijacked by pride in our passions. Look at verse 2. It talks about the lust, this passion. And even with this passion, it left, leaves us wanting. And, and, and we, we, don't, we don't obtain. And then we're fighting, we're cutting. We still don't have. But why don't we have? What, what, what's wrong? Last part of verse 2. Because ye ask not. I believe those are four of the saddest words in the Bible. Because we ask not. Do you know one of the greatest ways that pride hinders us in our Christian life is a lack of prayer? Pride says you don't need to ask God. Pride says you can go into the situation without his power. Pride says that, that, that you don't need his grace. Pride says uh, that, that, that even if you ask, he's not going to answer. Pride comes into a situation not humbling ourselves before God, but boasting in the morrow, boasting in our ability so because ye ask not, you are doing without asking. You are doing without humbling. You are, you are trying on your own. So there's two ways that pride hinders our prayers. It keeps us from praying, like I said, but it also corrupts our motives when we do pray. Verse 3 says, ye ask and receive not because ye miss. You admit, ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. You know the word consume is the same word that's used for the prodigal son who wasted all of his earnings and all of his inheritance, everything good that his father had given him, he wasted because he didn't think that his father had his best intentions in mind. And so we ask amiss. And when we are not seeking a relationship with God, when we're seeking his hand before we seek his heart or his face, we are asking for things that are, are good things, but not in God's good time. And it's friendship that purifies our motives. And being friends with God is found in a heartfelt conversation with him. This is why Abraham in James 2, verse 23, he, he said that he was, he was called the friend of God. So here's a key thought in your notes. And by the way, if you're watching online, you can download these notes uh, at findnewlife.church slash messages and uh, download the notes uh, there, and you can follow along. The key thought is this. We tend to bond with, get close to, be connected to, that which we bow to. And so whatever we're close to, whatever we keep close to, that's what we're serving. Uh, you you, you want to you be close to God? Serve him. You, you, you want to serve others? Be close. Have their needs on your mind and on your heart. And, and, and that's why Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, 
Uh, he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Later on in the verse, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every single person in this room or watching online or listening on the radio, all of us have to choose who we're going to serve. Every, every single day, we can serve ourselves or we can serve God, but we cannot have two masters. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew uh, 6, verse 24, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and, and love the other. He will despise the one and hold to the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There's no way to serve two masters. And so what we give access to, we give authority to. And what we, what we allow to go unmastered ultimately will become our master. And so this is what James 4 is talking about when he calls the church ye adulteresses. Wow. That's tough. Ye adulteresses. He's talking about spiritual adulteresses. Look at verse 4. Look in your Bible. Look in your notes. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The word is there is the word for set in order, to appoint as king, to keep in charge, to put in charge. And so what we place in the forefront of our mind and our heart as our passion will direct us, will lead us, will pull us in the same God that made you for the purpose of fellowship and connection and closeness is the same God that's jealous of whatever is closer to you than he is. And this is why in verse 5, look, at, look in your verse, we're going verse by verse. Verse 5 in, in James 4. Do you not think that the scripture saith in vain? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Uh, don't you think that that's in there for a purpose? Don't you think that the, the Holy Spirit is jealous of anything in a righteous jealousy, in a righteous desire of anything that has prominence or preeminence over him? And so here's an action item. I would encourage everyone in this room, to make a list, everyone in the sound of my voice, even online, I want you to make a list of anything that makes you excited. Not everything that makes you excited is wrong. But anything that makes you, makes, brings excitement, brings joy, brings enjoyment. And I want you to circle anything that has been edging out God. Man, in the first service, I used football as an analogy. Man, I got so many guys talking to me afterwards. And, oh, man, you know, football, it's a good thing. You know, I, I said, listen, you're proving my point. The fact is, if you skip church to, to watch a football game, it's edging out God. Hey, one guy said, yeah, I'm going to have the football game in church right side by side. You know, I don't know if that's, if that's kosher, but he was, he, was, he was pushing it. The bottom line is, football's not bad, but when football takes the place of God, it's wrong. Anything that is a good thing that becomes a main thing can be a harmful thing. So I want you to really key in on, and I'm going to explain this verse in verse number six. We're going to come back to this verse next week, but I want, you, I want you to see this. Read the first five words with me. But he giveth more grace. But he giveth more grace. I love that song that we sang that there's grace greater than our sins. Because no matter what sin or no matter what's going on in 2020, friend, and listening online, he gives more grace. He always gives you more grace. You say, but, but I don't have enough money, but he has more grace. You say, I don't have enough strength, and he has more grace. No matter what you bring to him, his grace is sufficient. 
but he gives more grace. I, I, I think you could probably disagree. I had a few uh, of our members tell me their five greatest words in the Bible. I think the five greatest words in the Bible are these five greatest words. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. No matter what happens, he has grace. Now, there's a theological uh, concept called the gravity of grace. And uh, Johnny, I want you to come on up here and help me with this. Uh, the gravity of grace. And, and when I was trying to think through this, like, what, what's the way that we can explain this, this verse? Because this verse says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Jump on up here. Uh, you can come around or, yeah, either way. So, so here's the point of, of what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at this morning. Uh, go ahead and turn this way. The, the more we elevate pride, and I don't know what it is. It might be in a relationship. It might be that, man, there's a conversation you need to have, and you're just not willing to have, and I've been there before. Uh, the more pride elevates in a relationship or your life, the more this grace, the substance that fuels you, the, the, the blue uh, water being being the grace, the refreshing, enabling, empowering grace of God. It's the divine enablement. It's, it's, it's undeserved favor. So the favor of God that, that enables us to live the Christian life. We don't live the Christian life out of, out of duty or out of, out of just, you know, guilt. No, we live it out of grace. But, but the higher your pride, the further away grace is. The, the, the higher you get, the lower amounts of grace you have in your life. God loves you. He will never love you any less. Absolutely. But, but the more pride you have in your life, the more God resists you. That's what the verse says, doesn't it? He resists you. Does that mean he doesn't care about you? No, because he cares about you, he is withholding his enablement from you because if you go down that path, you will self-destruct the path of pride. And so pride elevated is grace lowered. I want to show you what the verse says, though. It doesn't leave us there. How many are glad it doesn't leave us there? Because it says this, that the humble are, are lowered. What does it say in, in, in James 1.9? It says that you're blessed when you're of low estate. Like, let them rejoice when you're humbled, right? Well, why does God give more grace to the humble? Because the lower you get, the more grace rushes in. The more you have access to the power and the divine enablement that God designed you to have. And so the grace of God comes flowing into your life. And I don't know what area you feel deficient. You feel tired. You feel like you don't have any resources. Friend, God's resources comes rushing in. The lower you become, the more humble you become in the sight of God and man, the more God's grace rushes in. God wants to give you grace, but he will not enable a self-centered, prideful Christian to self-destruct because of your own conceit. Thank you, Johnny. So let me give you the takeaway, and we'll be finished. He giveth more grace to the humble. The more we elevate God's values, the more we are humbled by God's grace. See, I want to, I don't want to be lifted up in pride. Then lean not under thine own understanding. I, I, I want to, I want to elevate God's grace in my life. Then, 
then humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before those around you. Uh, ask someone, hey, can I become accountable with you? Is there something I said to you? Is there something I did? How can I, how can I do this better? Not here's how I've done it. Awesome. That's pride. How can I do this better? What do you think I could have done differently? That's humility. And friends, we all have a ways to go in this area. But God wants to give you grace, and the only thing holding it back is our pride. So he giveth more grace to the humble. Now next week, we're going to talk about the key to victory is humility. And we're going to talk about that humility and the grace and what it looks like, and we're going we're to keep going. But friend, we cannot allow our pride to corrupt our discontentment to where we say that God's not really that good. If God was good, he wouldn't have, you fill in the blank, the discontentment that comes into our life. And then that leads to a hijacking of our passion. And then we're passionate about all the wrong things. And then what we do is we start, we start rationalizing those passions. And we start thinking, well, this passion's okay because. The reality is we have to humble ourselves and say, I've been all wrong but God's grace is enough. It's sufficient. I'm going to go his way. I'm going to value what he values. And as I elevate his values and I humble myself of my own perspective, God's grace will be sufficient. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Five New Life. Have an amazing day.